Hey everyone, Jonathan and Brian and like tag team, we are back again and we are here to tell you that it is one week till our Christmas services kick off. One week? Dude, how'd you do that? That's amazing. Christmas magic. <laughs> cool, yeah, hey, so we have eight identical services. They start next Saturday at six o'clock, not five o'clock, and then nine, 11, and six on Sunday, and then Wednesday, six o'clock, and then Thursday, two, four, six. Six o'clock. Six o'clock, wow, yeah. four days. Lots of yeah, Christmas both happening. Both in person and online. Online, and it's gonna be amazing. Online experience for those of you who are, hey, Christmas at home this year, even for your Christmas services, we have some extra special help and surprises for that. We have an Wait, online- a surprise? Well, yeah, just, in fact, you might wanna log on maybe five to six minutes early for that surprise. Can I know what it is? Well, then it would be a surprise. But we're friends. Can you just tell me? gonna be amazing, you're gonna wanna check that out. Yes, and then also to help you with your online experience for who's ever in your home, we have a special online digital download to help you make for the best Christmas service possible with you and yours in your home. And so you can get that and the service times that we just rifled off, all of that, firstcicator.org, click on that What's Happening page. What's Happening. What's Happening, where you'll find out what's happening for our Christmas service times, as well as get one of those online kits. And we will see you in person or online, hopefully a few minutes before, because the special surprise is yeah. for in person and online. Oh, sweet. Yeah, cool. it'll be super duper. Awesome, we'll see you there. All or right. Or we'll see you online. Yeah, firstcater.org. What's happening? My response, pray for me. I have to work with those guys every day. It's good to have you here today at First Christian Church. If you're a guest with us, welcome to, uh, welcome to worship with us today, whether you're in the building uh, at Lovington, East West Auditorium, or perhaps you're online. We're very glad you're with us. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and we're going to spend some time in Scripture together today. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 1, the very opening verses of the New Testament, the New Testament being differentiated from the Old Testament. Um, sometimes known as the uh, Hebrew Bible versus the Christian portion of the Bible, so forth and so on. Nonetheless, it's where the story of Jesus begins. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to read in just a few moments. To start our discussion today, um, probably like many here today or many online, uh, Leslie and I have a Netflix subscription. We don't use it every day. We tend to kind of have it there and then we'll find some show or some something that's going to got our attention. Often it's BBC programming from across the pond, and then we'll watch something, you know, in a, a whole season of something in like five days. You know, every evening we're watching the same thing. And I have noticed, though, when it comes to figuring out, pardon me, what we might watch, uh, there tends to be a pattern, and uh, perhaps you're different, but for us, or I want to speak for me, a good TV show or a good movie has to start well. If it doesn't catch my attention pretty quickly, I'm clicking. I'm clicking on to the next thing, all right? Now, some of you might call it impatience. Wayne, you just got to let it not. You know what I call it? I'm much more sophisticated than impatience. I call it story discernment. That's what it is. It's discernment, right? It's story discernment. I can tell in 10 seconds if I'm going to like this. Not really, but that's, that's the way, way I say it. And so... It's the same for a book. If a book doesn't have my attention within the first little bit, on page one, I'm going to go, uh, pretty quickly. And for example, maybe you're familiar with this opening line to a very famous book. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. 
Ten words. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. It's an opening line to a famous book that immediately asks questions. What's a hobbit? Why does a hobbit live in the ground? Does the hobbit ever come out of the ground? And if the hobbit comes out of the ground, what happens? I want to know how that story is going to unfold with one sentence. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. What is it? So you know it's J.R.R. Tolkien's um, The Hobbit. starts with this, this in, the, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. And uh, if, that's the beginning, if you know, if you will. Bilbo Baggins' journey starts there and the Lord of the Rings unfolds after all that and all the movies and the franchise and the figurines and everything. And all that stuff starts with one sentence. If that's how our brains work, at least in contemporary culture, if, that sort of the, if that's the sort of introduction we need to a story that's going to pique our attention, I wonder about the opening verses of what we're about to read today, the opening verses of the New Testament. I wonder how they're supposed to catch our attention because it's not really, at first glance, all that fascinating. Read with me Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the genealogy. Oh, no. Oh, no. A genealogy. This is the gene genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brother. Ju Tooth fixed to pop the eyes open. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the, uh, Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose name was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And you go, goodness gracious, give me a break. If we're going to tell a story, that's probably not the way to start. King David, by the way, is a thousand years before Jesus was born. And at first glance, you go, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit sounds far more interesting and engaging. And, and the father of, the father of, the father of, the son of, the son of, the son of, is this really what, to what supposedly Christians call? Is this the introduction to what Christians say is the greatest story ever told? What's with that? We're in the middle of our Advent sermon series leading up to Christmas. During Advent, we always think about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We also celebrate his first arrival as a baby 20 centuries ago. And many of us here might know his story, and we know it's a, parable, a powerful narrative. We know it's a, it is the greatest story ever told. But is this really... Is this really the best way to start his adventure? What? Well, friends, actually it is. The passage right here of Matthew seems rather mundane. But people who know a little bit of Scripture's story might be able to see something else there. See, we just read through six verses. A set of 14 generations. There's another, six, another 14 generations coming in chapter 1 and another 14 after that. 46 people, 42 generations listed as all, uh, in all. All people who form Jesus' lineage, who are part of Jesus' family tree. We, we read it and go, what? This is boring. 
To Matthew's original readers, some 2,000 years ago, they would have known how to read between the lines. They would have understood that Matthew is setting up Jesus' family tree, pointing to his arrival not only as a baby, but also as Israel's Messiah and also as the world's Savior. And they would have heard these opening lines in much the same way we hear in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit, something of interest. And there's a lot of unexpected stuff in this ancient version of in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. What's unexpected are the lives of the people who are the characters, if you will, of these opening verses of Matthew 1. I mean, if we, would, if we would charge with the responsibility of designing the perfect family for the perfect world savior, we'd look for people who were kind and gracious, gracious, courageous and heroic. We'd want those sorts of ancestors. But while some of those are in Jesus' family tree, I need to tell you that's certainly not the case all the way around. I mean, some of the people are good. They are very good. But some, oof, oof, oof. Did you hear it one more time? Oof. They were bad. They're really bad. They're like your family. You have some great characters, but then you got something to go, oof. When it comes to families with good and bad characters, can I talk to you about your family? As a matter of fact, as an aside, please know that your family and its entire list of characters, good and bad, are invited to our Christmas services which start next weekend. I'm taking a little sidetrack right here, okay? We have designed very family-friendly service, uh, worship services in this room, and if you really got kids, you say, man, my kids cannot sit through. We're gonna, in the East Auditorium, it's gonna be even more complete in terms of family-friendly. And there's eight of them. And here's what all family members, good and bad, need to recall and need to be aware of for all the worship services that are in the building and all those that are going to be online. Can you count them all? Eight of them, if you look on that list there. All eight are exactly identical. And so I think by the time I get to the last ones on Christmas Eve, I should know my message and not, not be too worried about where's this going, right? And so I need to ask you this question. Starting at 6 o'clock next Saturday evening, and all the way through Christmas Eve, are all the worship services identical? Yes. Some of you are not convinced. <laughs> if you show up on Sunday morning or Saturday night and you come again Christmas Eve, are all those services the same? Yes. They're all the same. We tried this last year. It was a great experiment, except some failed. Don't be on the bad list, okay? You want to be on the nice and good list for Santa's arrival the next morning, okay, on, on, on Christmas. So note that also that the service times are a shift. Uh, there's a big shift and a change up coming next week in order to fit everything in. So I guess, and also, while, since I've stepped out of my preaching mode for just a minute, one more thing. As we come to the end of this most unusual year, I want to thank you for your consistent giving to our ongoing ministry funds. Usually I'd have a statement like that in August or September and bring you up to speed, but I was, as you know, I was on the sabbatical. If you may have received a letter in the mail yesterday or you will in the next few days directing your attention to our Give 2020 um, plan, we're asking you to preferably consider our endeavor to shore up general expenses for the coming year. Here's what I mean. 
You need to know, and as I said, normally we do this in September and say, this is where we are three quarters of the way through the year. And it's always been my pleasure and honesty to say to the congregation, we're in the black. You know what I can tell you here, halfway through December of 2020, the year from, well, you know where it's from. You, you, you know what I can say? When it comes to finances, you have done well, and every fund in the church is in the black. We are being very cautious moving into the coming year. We've reduced our budget next year by 20% just sort of being a little bit cautious. In my 27 years of ministry here, we've never had a reduced budget year to year, but going forward, we're going to, just for a period of months to see that everything is fine. You can give us a great jump start into all of that if you take, pay attention to Give 2020. Okay, enough of that matter. Um, let me step back into a preaching mode. I'll put a different hat on again. Back to Matthew 1 and Jesus' genealogical tree and your family with all its crazy characters. Because... There are some great people listed here, but there are also some unusual, unexpected names. Do you think if you're going to write a great story that Scripture would sort of like to skip over the bad things? It doesn't. For example, uh, Matthew just says, these, this, 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 and, and if you know those people, I mean, he doesn't hold anything back. And there's something unusual about his list, particularly when it comes to ancient family trees. He mentions women. That's very unusual. Women would, would not be included in the list in, in most circumstances from the ancient world. And what's interesting is that of the women he mentions, he doesn't even try to paint all of them in a great picture either. He's, he just lays it out, both men and women, who they were. For example, did you see Tamar listed there in verse 3? She's quite the lady, quite the, quite the story. You know what she did? She didn't, long story, she didn't like some things her father-in-law were doing. Fair enough. And so in a way to trick him, she dressed herself as a prostitute. She actually sold her services. She wasn't a prostitute per se, but she let her father-in-law think he was. She sold her services to him. She disguised herself. He took the bait. He slept with her. It's not a wholesome story in any way. It's not a wholesome story on her part or on her father-in-law's part. Ugh, it's ugly stuff. Then you got Rahab. She's listed there as well. She has this great heroine story of how she helps the, the spies of the people of Israel in their first move into the promised land, and they, they see the walls of, the, of Jericho, the first city they, meet, they come to, come flat, you know, and all that sort of stuff, wonderful stuff. She had a part to play in that. But do you know what she did in real life beyond that? She was a prostitute. Still, Scripture just lays it out there and not trying to sugarcoat things, if you will. And then you've got another woman. She's referred to as Uriah's wife in the book of Matthew. Some of you biblical scholars, Uriah's wife, Uriah's wife, who was that? Oh, her name was Bathsheba. Now is it ringing a bell? She's the Hittite woman, the beautiful woman who had an affair with King David a thousand years before Jesus showed up. And you want to go, oof. My family, Jesus' family, oof. Rough settings indeed. It's not the sort of, ex of story that you would expect. They're going to highlight this in Jesus' family tree. But let's be careful not to single out the women only, because a lot of the men, oof, oof. I'm going to copyright that saying, oof. Some of them are not so great either. As a matter of fact, um, this past week I had a conversation with one of the pastors of our church, 
and I've invited him to join me in chatting about a fellow who maybe you don't know his story. His name is Jehoram. Some 850 years before Jesus was born, um, we're going to talk with Rick Grace about him. Rick is not often seen here on weekends, even though he's a, one of our pastors. He, his, his title is that he is the Disciple Heritage Fellowship Church Liaison on our behalf. You may not be aware of this, but we have a ministry called Disciple Heritage Fellowship that's based in our building. We have 70, more than 70 churches around the nation who look to us for leadership and for some guidance. Um, and it's Rick's job, and he's often at those churches every weekend, he and Nancy are around the country a lot. Sometimes they're quelling riots <laughs> in congregations, sometimes they're encouraging the congregation. So you don't just get to see him very often on weekends, but he's a tremendous biblical scholar. And I asked for his perspective on one of Jesus' ancestors, 850 years before Jesus was born. This is a fellow that Rick's going to highlight, a guy by the name of Jehoram. Take a look at this. So, Rick, we're very glad that you're with us today and also very glad for the role that you have in the life of our congregation, representing us in churches all across the country. And we certainly appreciate that as you are the liaison for Disciple Heritage Fellowship between our congregation and all those churches. But for today, let's have you put on a different hat and let's you and me talk about Matthew 1 because we've been chatting about it in the last few days. Uh, there's one particular story that draws your attention and that's got sort of your interest, and that's the story of Jehoram, 850 years before Jesus was born. What can you tell us about him? Jehoram had a very godly father. Father was, was Jehoshaphat, who was one of the four kings of, of Judah that was said to walk in the ways of his father David. And he also set the stage for Uzziah, who was another one of the kings that was said to walk in the ways of, the fa of, of his father David. But Jehoram himself... Um, it was an abject failure. So why would pastors like you and me, why would we, uh, why would we declare him to be an abject failure? One of the first things he's noted for in Scripture is that he marries the daughter of um, Ahab and Jezebel. And they were the two that there's entered... A, there's a lineage to be worried about. That is, <laughs> that is a great lineage. They're the two that introduced Baal worship into Israel. He not only followed uh, that... Um, one of the first things he did when he came to the throne was to murder all of his brothers. He, he eliminated every rival claimant to the throne. So he had, um, yeah, as I recall, didn't he have six brothers? He had several. Yeah. Several. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least the ones we know about, uh, there was at least a half a dozen um, that, that were built. And probably one of, one of the things, <laughs> Wayne, that is... I find really interesting the last part of his epitaph that is that is written in, in uh, Second Chronicles 21 is that when he died, Scripture says, "quote He passed away to no one's regret." <laughs> yeah, and, and he had a pretty he he had some sort of abdominal issue that uh, caused that, and he suffered for a couple of years with that, right? Yes, he is, as part of his rebellion against God. Uh, Elijah wrote him a letter and said he would die in horrible pain and that his, his intestines would fall out of his body. Oh, isn't that I have no idea what medical condition that is, but it sounds awful oh. and painful. Oh. All right, here it is in the evening. <laughs> He's recording this tape and oh, sounds awful. Don't, don't be visiting that with me overnight, please. And yet... And yet, this guy's in Jesus' lineage. He is in the lineage of Jesus. Um, one of the things I found ironic 
is when they buried him, it says they buried him in Jerusalem, but not in the tombs of the king, the tombs of the kings. Right. So they wouldn't, e they, they wouldn't even bury him where the rest of the kings were, and yet he's part of the lineage of the king of kings who was buried and yet would then come back to life. I just find that incredibly ironic. It's a gr it's a, I say a great story. It's a fascinating aspect of the greatest story ever told. Amen. And, and Rick, thanks again for being with us today. Rick Grace, friends, Disciple Heritage Fellowship liaison for all the churches working on your behalf out of our building. Rick, thanks so much for your involvement and, and uh, your insight today. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. My pleasure. So here's, here's the legitimate question coming from just a few of these characters that we've looked at. You get why the good are included in the story of Jesus' tree, but why the bad? Why did God allow his message? Why did God allow his son? Why did God allow the messenger of heaven to come through such a bunch of um, losers? Why? Well, because Jesus, while fully God, was also fully human. And his arrival through broken, fallible people has lessons for us. And some of it's unexpected. We expect very holy people. But no, the messed up family lineage called Jesus' lineage, it's like your family tree. It's like all the junk that's in your background was in the, was in the lineage of Jesus. And so what does that say? Here's some ideas that I would suggest you think about. Um, maybe this afternoon have a conversation with some folk around you, a dinner or lunch or, you know, on the phone, whatever the case. Some ideas that maybe start a head conversation and a heart conversation. See, here's, here's something that occurs to me. That if God's son, the savior of the world, could come through such a messed up family, if such good could come through a messed up family, then you and your family can also experience redemption through Jesus. In other words, we're inclined to say, oh, man, I'm just not like everybody else. I'm doing okay. Well, you can be different than just okay. Jesus can impact your life and your family story, and that impact has no bounds whatsoever. The redemption of your story, the salvation of your soul is available through Jesus Christ. And that is the ultimate message of Matthew. And the chapters that come after Matthew chapter 1, we get the story of Jesus over and over again. And it is the greatest story ever told. And you can participate in that. You can join in that great adventure. You can start with a statement before God that goes something like this. God, I need redemption for my story. God, forgive my story. Forgive my sins through Jesus Christ. And you get to start a whole new adventure. Because, friends, your past in Jesus Christ, once you're in Christ, your past no longer defines you. Your past does not define you in Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps your family came from the wrong side of town. Um, perhaps there's all sorts of struggle that you could talk about from the way things were in the past. I, I can't go into a lot of detail because of some privacy issues, but some years ago I conducted, I mean this is a, um, more than a decade ago now, I conducted a funeral for a very elderly woman from our congregation who had grown up in our church from, as a young babe. And uh, in preparing for the funeral, the family said, we'll tell you a story, but it's not for, we don't, 
this needs to stay not at the funeral. We, can't, we don't want you saying this about mom, about grandma. But this might help you understand who we are. And this is the language they used. that They'd say, mom used to say that her mother, she'd say it this way. My mother used to tell me how she would go to Uncle Jesse's house in Missouri. So this is a few generations back. We're now in the 1800s. She'd sit on his knee and Uncle Jesse would tell stories. And sometimes he wouldn't be there. And mother would ask, Where's Uncle Jesse today? And the family would respond by saying, he's over at the bank making some withdrawals. Uncle Jesse? As in Jesse James, the infamous bank robber. And that woman, a couple generations down, was in our congregation. They're still here. The family's still here. And what's that say? Jesus' redemption of the past in your family allowed that family to forego following Uncle Jesse's lifestyle. That can be said of you. Your past doesn't have to define you. I'm also mindful of this. That again, at first glance, this seems to start rather slowly. Matthew 1 seems to start with, how can this be the greatest story ever told? It doesn't start with much fanfare at first glance, but in the long run, it certainly shows the full reality of Jesus' impact on our world. We are saved, friends, seriously, you and me. We, I am saved, you are saved. We are saved from eternal damnation because of Jesus Christ. And perhaps as you look at your story, it started rather slowly, and you may think it's traveling on rather slowly. It might even appear to be boring. But I'm aware of this. There is a new sentence starting a new chapter in your life, and it's available to you today, and the story can begin anew tomorrow. A new sentence is about to be penned, and that sentence can start a new chapter for you. It can be a sentence like, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. That might not be the sentence, but it can be like that, a new sentence for you. And I've given some thought to what some of those sentences if a, if a story was to be written about your life tomorrow, what could some of those sentences be? The phone call came with an unfamiliar number, but I still answered it. I'm so glad I took the risk and didn't see it as spam. Do you want to know what the rest of that story is? Could that be how your story is described this week? Or... The registered letter came from a lawyer with an address in Chicago's Hancock Building. I was almost afraid to open the seal. You want to know the rest of that story, don't you? I pulled up to the house and noticed something odd. There were two front doors. Which one should I walk through? You say, well, that's not my... Uh, that. Well, actually, that is you this week. This week, there are going to be any multiple numbers of decisions that you have to make. Right, left, good, bad, wrong, incorrect, or wrong, incorrect. Well, you're going to get some decisions in front of you in the days ahead, and you have to decide which door you're going to walk through, which adventure you're going to take on. Or how about this one? Jesus came to earth as a baby. He died as a hero, forgiving my sins. I chose, past tense, I chose to follow him and this is the rest of my adventure. Oh, now, what's that story going to be? 
See, your family tree might be familiar to Jesus' tree. It might have all sorts of characters within it. But here's what I know. In sovereignty, God used an unusual family to bring about something dramatic. The arrival of Jesus Christ in a manger. So you've got Jesus' family tree here, all right? This is from our Arts Academy. did it for us this week. And you've got the tree with these are all the names of the people who are listed in our passage of Scripture that we're reading today, all these black lines here. But it, uh, what's at the base of that family tree? The arrival of a little baby in a manger coming to save the world. I'm aware of this, friends. God's story is unveiling in your life. Your story is you follow Jesus just yet may still have some twists and turns. As a matter of fact, could I say, on the part of not being bored, I trust there are some more twists and turns. All good in your story moving forward. But just as God orchestrated Jesus' arrival in his family through all sorts of things, 2,000 years of generations and living out joys and struggles and triumphs and defeats, there were some rogues, there were some villains, there were some heroes. God worked through all of that. So I'm convinced that God is at work in you. And I'm anxious to hear what sentence best describes your next chapter. Why? Because people of faith, what do we do? We expect the unexpected. And so, friend, this week, step into what could be the greatest story ever told in your life. You don't have to repeat the stuff of the past. You don't have to get engaged in that again. You don't have to keep going back to that dry, dusty well of all those stories and all that ugliness. Instead, through the work of Jesus Christ in your life and my life, there's a new adventure. There are doors opening in front of us this week, and we say, which one are we going to choose? Friend, choose to walk with Jesus Christ. Choose to say, the past is the past. It's forgiven in Jesus Christ. And now, the new adventure, the new sentence in my life is waiting to be written. Let's pray together. Father, for my friends in this room, in the East Auditorium, in Lovington, and those joining us online at this moment, God, we're asking that you would graciously, graciously, Allow us to know more of your story in us for this coming week. This is Advent. This is the season, Lord, when we're wondering and thinking about the days ahead and how it's going to be when we move to the Christmas day itself. And sometimes even with Christmas day, Lord, and the days leading up to it, we remember our families and remember some of the struggles. We're going to put all that aside, God. We can rely on the work of your Holy Spirit within us, calling us into a closer relationship with you in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, perhaps some people need to say, God, forgive my past. Forgive my sin. Redeem that story through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Hey, friend, if you've just prayed that prayer with me, perhaps for the first time and you've never really figured out what the, you know, this is like, hey, this is kind of new for me today, or perhaps it's a case where it's, you're stepping into a, a new day for you, we'd like to visit with you about that this week. Feel free to reach out to us, or you can do it even right now. You could text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to the church's phone number, 217-875-3350. We'll have a chat. Call us this week, and let's see what God might want to do in your life, okay? In the meanwhile, I invite everybody in, uh, in, in the room here, please, to stand together. And the worship team behind me is going to uh, lead us in a song that uh, is an old, old carol. It speaks of that longing deep down within us where we want to know, Jesus, the people of, the, of your day they had this longing for the Messiah that was generations, it was hundreds of years old, centuries old. They knew a Messiah was coming and they were waiting, waiting, waiting. We've seen you come once, God. Now, come, come again. Come, Lord Jesus, you the long-expected Savior. Let's sing it together. say